Hi, my name is Puya Hamidi. I'm a composer, pianist, and sound engineer from Toronto. And you're listening to Talking Blues. To start at the beginning. Tell me, tell me about growing up in Tehran. What was that like? Uh, well, growing up in Tehran, uh, I lived there for 12 years. So I went to school. Uh, I was there surrounded by my family and friends. Uh, it was a quite a wonderful time, uh, especially so socially for me, uh, hanging out in the streets, uh, bicycling with the kids in the street playing uh, soccer um, in the garage of our uh, apartment. Um, it was a good time, but at the same time, we always felt there's this darkness and this um, censorship and wall uh, uh, and this black cloud uh, hovering over our heads. When you, um, at home, you say something, um, with your family, your values, and everything, and outside in public, in school, you have to say something else. For example, like what we are li listening to for music. There was a lot of music that was banned uh, by the government, so you can't go out um, and purchase like CD of I don't know Pink Floyd or something like that. Uh, so a lot of it was like under um like in the black market you have to go find this person like a dealer but a dealer for like uh, illegal music um so then they would have all the cds and stuff and you would come um and and uh buy those things from them or rent rent from them so it kind of made it a little bit more special but at the same time we knew that um outside of iran everything is more free and um yeah, so there was that when I was growing up. At what point did you realize that that's what you had to do in order to get music that wasn't um, accepted by the government? I gave him the idea that a kid very young would be searching out music in the black market. How early did that happen? Yeah, so my parents have always been fond of all kinds of music. And they're the, the ones that were actually... Um, starting to do that like uh my father would go to uh uk and bring like cds in his suitcase um and, and like hide them in there and bring for us um so part of it was that but also uh i have an older brother who's six years older six or seven years old older and he's the main person that introduced me to a lot of different kinds of music he was curious about so many different types of uh, genres, even in Iran. And um, in his school, he was trading cassettes with uh, all his friends. Um, and also the other thing that we had was satellite dish, which was uh, on the rooftops and we could watch MTV and all other kinds of Western cha channels. So we got a lot of that uh, content through there as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was, and you kind of learned with a system like that, 
you learn that what they're feeding you in the official TV and radio is not all that exists. Um, so you learn to kind of look for ways to uh, find other types of uh, music or films to consume. So, yeah. So obviously your parents and your brother had a lot to do with your love of music. Um, you started playing piano at the age of eight. Yes, I was eight years old. And uh, yeah, my father kind of always played the accordion, but not really well. And they all, at every family gathering, they would play accordion and sing. And and um, yeah, but really the main reason I started piano was because of my brother. Because my brother started first and he would just sit by the piano and practice and we had the same piano teacher as well. And um, yeah, it was I was always amazed just sitting by him. And he would tell me, oh, this is kind of like a spaceship. You turn this button, that button. And <laughs> and the older I get, I'm like, oh, he wasn't wrong. This kind of feels like you go on a trip or a journey with a song. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, and, and was that mainly classical music? Yeah, so we started with classical music as well. Uh, yeah, just classical music. Um, yeah, training like Mozart and yeah, all the greats and going through all the books from the start. Yeah, we did. I get the impression, though, that, that you took to the piano very quickly. Uh, yeah, I love the piano because as even as a child, I was very um, into patterns and systems and when i first started playing the piano um actually the way i started composing is i disliked practicing piano and uh, so i would just like look for patterns on the piano instead of uh practicing lesson one or lesson two i would just like doodle and just come up with the different songs and um, I figured all these things that exist in the piano, and it's kind of the keys on the piano are set, set up in a way that it's easy to see the patterns. And then, um, yeah, so I started just like Im improvising on the piano. And in a way, it has always come naturally to me playing the piano and com composing. I don't know where it's come from, but it just, I, uh, I have ideas and... Um, so at a very young age, yeah. you started to compose. At a very young age, I started to compose. Uh, actually, maybe when I started playing the piano. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a story, actually. My mom was concerned that I'm now practicing piano and just doing the com composing at the or like doodling on the piano. So she told my piano teacher and my piano teacher said, oh, uh, play some of the stuff that you're doing. I played a little bit and it was like, no, no, it's okay. Let let him play the, uh, let him compose. Uh, but make sure also, he told me, make sure to practice as well. So so it's good that I practiced uh, and got the technique too. Okay, so this is a topic that's that I've talked about many times or asked questions about many times, which is, and I think we might have had a conversation about this, of being able to compose or being able to improvise versus being able to read and execute music on page. So at a very young age, I presume you had both of that. Yeah, so um, as you know, as a for example, as a classical musician, from the beginning, you are given like notes on sheet mm -hmm. of paper, and uh, you're supposed to follow those 
And that's a very good skill to have, uh, to be able to follow what's written on the page down to like every dynamic marking and every tempo, everything. But also uh, like in other genres, like, uh, I don't know, let's say blues or jazz, um, that piece of paper is mostly like a guide. And a lot of the time, it's not even by paper, like it's by the ear. You play something and the person picks up by the ear. Um, so in terms of me from the beginning, I didn't know that exists. So I just was quite, um, I guess when I started composing, I just uh, did what wasn't following the notes. I was just improvising on the piano and came up with the songs and then wrote them on paper. So it was kind of the other way around. Instead of writing the music on a sheet of paper and then playing it, I was playing it and finishing the piece on the piano and then transcribing it on the sheet. How, how do you do that now? I mean, I know that you spend, you lock yourself away for days on end and compose new pieces. When you do that, does it start with the improvisation or does it start on paper? So there is a bit of a, um, I've evolved, of course, uh, over the years. And now the way I uh, do it is a hybrid system. Sometimes, um, most often ideas come to me when I'm just playing on the piano. So I, in my computer, I just press record in my audio software and I just go on the piano and play, play, play. Um, sometimes actually I put like a video of anything like inspiring um, in the background and just look at the images so I'm inspired, De- depending on what the piece is about. If it's a commission, I don't know, about chickens or something, I put like ch- chicken images of chickens. Uh, How often then, are you commissioned to write about chickens? <laughs> not very much, but <laughs> just a silly example. Um so that's that's one way that I do it. Uh, the other way is um, when I'm walking and I hear like a tune or something in my head, um, then I transcribe that from my head to like a, a notation software. So that translation process of what I'm hearing in my head to what is in the piece of paper is also uh, one way that I do it. And then sometimes there's spots, like tricky spots in the pieces where I figure it out on the piece of paper where I do contrapuntal work or like very de- de- delicate sounds. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there is many, many ways that I compose these days. Yeah. But OK, so composition has been throughout your whole life. Like as, as soon as you started playing piano, then you started to make um, music of your own. At what point did you decide that this is something you wanted to pursue? Um, well, um, yeah, I've had really, really um, supportive parents, maybe a little bit too supportive. Um, <laughs> contrary to a lot of other families that I know, they've always been extremely supportive of me continuing in the music um, field, I guess. And uh, so when I was actually 11 or 12 when we moved to Canada, I always wanted to be a composer. Um, Yeah, so from the very beginning, I've always had the idea of becoming a composer and pursuing that because it just feels right 
it feels like the universe aligns when I am composing. Um, and it's kind of, I surprise myself by the magic of the, the writing and uh, the expression. And yeah, I, that's what Did I you always feel that? that? Like at the age of 12, did you feel that? I felt that too, yeah. It's kind of, I remember there was one piece that I wrote when I was maybe nine or something like that. Um, and I still remember it to this day. And when it finished, I wasn't sure um, how it f- f- finished. It just, it feels like something came to my hands and I just played it and then it like come completed. Um, so yeah, from the very beginning, it kind of felt right. Wow. Like I, I've heard other people talk about that. The act of composing or writing a song, it's like as if it's just going through you. You're not creating it, but it's just you're like a, a tool or, or a vehicle that it passes through. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah, it's like it's kind of a vehicle or something. Um, mystery, mysticism, like, um, I don't know, like something goes through you and it just and that that piece is a very good example, because at that age, um, I didn't know about harmony or th- theory or anything, but it just comes through you and it pa- passes and it's so ma- magical when it happens. And um, yeah, so that's a very good way to put it. How did your parents decide that they wanted to move to Canada? Like, What made them decide to make that move? And what was that move like for you? Yeah, so uh, coming to Canada, we were um, kind of in a place uh, that wasn't too bad. My father had a job there and my mom had all her family there. Um, and my brother was almost 18, 19, I was 12. And, um, we decided to come to Canada because of all the things that we heard about being here, especially for freedom of arts and pursuing that. And they knew that I wanted to pursue that as well. And my brother was kind of unhappy there too with the system and everything. So we decided to come as a family. And uh, the immigration process took two years. And we kind of, my parents say, we just put in the app application just to see uh, what happens. And when the the result came back, my mom was crying for like two nights because she was like, oh no, this is really happening now. And uh, she knew it's a very good uh, step for her kids. But... She also knew she was going to be away from her mom and from all her sisters and family and stuff like that. So, yeah, so it was kind of a tough move. And as an immigrant, when you uh, are living in a country for 50 years, it's not just about saying bye to your friends. It's about the the atmosphere, like the place that you were born as a kid. Like even when I was 12 and I came relatively young, before adolescence even um i still when i go there i feel very strongly to that place i don't know what it is about where we are born but there's something about that and uh, for my parents to put everything there and come here to a new country where uh, they spoke english but not very well and they had to all start having different jobs that they had uh, it must have been very hard, and I'm very great grateful for them that they m- made the move here. 
Was it difficult for you? Because I know you didn't speak English at that point. Was that a, I mean, I've been there because I've been to, I've moved to a country where I didn't speak the language oh, and great. I had to I learn the language. And it's, it's, I know what it was like for me. How, how difficult was it for you? So, yeah, I didn't know a word. I was like, uh, just knew like, hello, how are you? <laughs> yeah. So I came and I was 12 and there was, a, they put me in e ESL. And at that age, um, everything is changing. Um, and it wasn't too bad. The first six months was tough. But after that, you adapt so fast when you're young. And um, I did quite well. This, the, also, the other thing that was really interesting was when I was um, when I came and went to the school, I was like, oh, wow, here they all just watch a lot of TV in the classroom. They play. <laughs> the math I was doing was two years ahead in Iran. So yeah, for yeah. two years, I didn't have to learn anything. And it was way more relaxed. Um, and also there was that big change, culture shock. Um, for example, in Iran, all boys are together. You're not exposed to any young, uh, like girls, you know, we are not, it's the same sex right. in the, in the schools. Um, so that was a big shock as well, especially at that age. Um, so yeah, all that was a big thing. And I, the other thing I remember coming here was, uh, we went, I think it was a Virgin store or something like that, the CD store. And I couldn't believe it. We walked into the <laughs> the store. And we were like, these are all the CDs that we wanted. And we couldn't find. They were all like there. And you yeah. could browse through them. You could put them on your headphones and listen to them. It was like you're walking into heaven or something like that. It was <laughs> really magical. It's really cool. Do you remember the first thing, maybe musically, what, what might have been the biggest thing when you got here? Like what might have really impressed you other than going to the cd store was there any music that just blew you away yeah going to see the the concerts we used to regularly go to the tso and i was blown away by that because before then we would always watch um orchestras and soloists in um, tv and when we go there it was like in real life as you as you know it's not the same uh, as like a video, um, the the live atmosphere, the air, everything, mm -hmm. uh, the live concert. So that was like the TSL was really good. We saw a lot of different pianists back then um, and also like a lot of rock co concerts as well. My brother would take me. Remember the first live concert I went to was, funny enough, the name of the band was called Live. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and I was uh, kind of blown away. It was at the Air Canada Center. I'm not sure what it's called now, but this is like 30,000 people cheering. That energy as a young child is amazing. And uh, yeah, so those all had really big impact on me. So uh, did you soon after go to RCM, the Royal Conservatory of Music, and, and start getting lessons there? Yeah, so uh, as soon as I came... Uh, my father put me one year, I guess, of private le lessons. And then um, I was put into the, I don't know, uh, Young Artists uh, program, which is like the um, special the Taylor young Academy. kids. Now it's called the Taylor Ac Academy, yeah. Right. And uh, I was there for 
maybe six years until I was 18. And I did all my history courses and theory and musicianship. And every Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday morning, super early, we would go. <laughs> but it was really fun. I really enjoyed it because um, you were among other fellow musicians that were, I, I mean, like kids, basically. Yeah, yeah. I were really into it. They were so but selective. Like, but really gifted kids. Gifted, super gifted kids yeah. um, there. So you must have been really good at that age. I don't know about that, but I was really impressed by the other kids. Like the, <laughs> They were just like so inspiring. The master classes, some of them playing the piano, just like at such a high level, I was so young. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was incredible. But it's it's it makes um really good learning place to grow because you're surrounded by all these amazing musicians and it makes you really grow as a as a per person so I, I really enjoyed going there so you could have as i would presume just as easily followed the path of being a classical musician at that point especially with with i guess six years spending at the royal conservatory um was there ever a thought of pursuing that as as your future yeah, so at that point, um, actually, I had a great piano teacher, which I want to shout out, Jenna Lupinski. I don't know if you know her, but I was uh, she did amazing work. And she's really set me up um, for post-education uh, deg degree. Because as um, my family and a lot of other families, they really value the university deg degree. Somehow, if you go to university, it's more legitimate or something like that, right. which I don't believe that. But um, so I was really, uh, I kind of thought about what I want to do after I finish when I'm eight, 18, what do I do? Um, so I decided to go to University of Toronto uh, to do uh, a piano performance and a composition degree. Okay, this this is what I remember a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we had the opportunity to work with one another um, doing a, a video shoot and a recording with the members of the Toronto Symphony. And, and, and I remember the, the conductor for that day basically stopped and introduced you to all the musicians <laughs> and, and talked about the fact that you, you went to U of T for both composition and for piano. And, and I mean, he made it seem like a really big deal. I didn't realize that, that it was such a big deal until he said, <laughs> you know, this is a big deal that you, you went for both of those. And I think the musicians from the TSL were impressed as well. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, he was a great <laughs> um, influence and t teacher too, for sure. Uh, but um, yeah, it was, um, I don't know. It was, it was heavy though, um, composition and piano performance. And for me, they always went hand in hand. But did you, did you have an idea what, you wanted to achieve from that by going to you, other than making sure that your parents were happy that you went to university. What were you hoping to get out of that experience of going to U of T for those two things, to major in those two things? Well, um, I was hoping to become like kind of a rounded musician. That's the reason I went there to university because I wanted to take non-music course courses and um, because um, I feel like as a musician like it's good to know 
about other things in life as well. Uh, so I took astronomy. I took, I don't know, art history, um, which was really hard for me because I'm not good with names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so many names. Um, and um, yeah, so that's the reason I went to university because I wanted to get exposed to all those different cor- courses that are not in the music building. But um, the reason also is for me, like playing the piano as always from the very start has been about composing as well. Um, I didn't want to just become a pianist that plays the standard repertoire. I wanted to play mostly my own uh, music and also other uh, music as well, but mostly my, my own um, and also the other thing that the University of Toronto really did well for me was getting exposed to other new musicians and starting collaborations and groups that are still going to this day as well. So that was also a really valuable thing going, going there. Okay, so I have to ask, at one point or another, you decide that you want to also specialize in audio recording. Yes. When did that happen? When did you go to McGill to to get your master's in audio recording? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. So I had kind of a crisis. Um, I kind of had a crisis when I finished my bachelor's at the University of Toronto. Um, I was like, uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> um it turns out that they don't really set you up at university for the real world. There was a huge gap between reality and the bubble that you are in university. And uh, when I came outside, um, I was thinking about big picture in 10 years, what I want to do. And funny enough, we are now 10 years after or even more <laughs> of finished. But, um, so I can tell you how, but, but uh, so I had a few op- options. I could continue composition um, as a master's, and I went. I got accepted to a few universities, including UBC. I could also pursue film scoring because I had scored about twenty films by then, a lot of them short films, some feature film, and um, I got accepted to two un- universities in the states. University of Southern California for film scoring. So that would mean I would go to Hollywood and uh, study for a year. And then probably in like five years or 10 years, be a kind of a film film scoring composer. And then, uh, so those two options ex- existed. And then uh, the third option was McGill, which was the sound recording program. Because I always found really fascinating the studio and microphones and technology and what you can do with sound and mi- microphones. And um, even through my studies in the University of Toronto, I was doing that a lot on my own projects, recording, and really fascinated by that. And we recorded our album, La Dome Ensemble, actually, uh, at Canterbury Studio. And I remember just the vibe and the aura of walking in the studio and just finishing a product and how fascinating it was, all those behind the scene stuff. Um, So all that 
really made me go and do the sound recording program in Montreal. But it was actually by chance. <laughs> it's funny. I was accepted to all these universities for other things. And one night I just logged into McGill. Uh, I was like, oh, what does McGill have? Uh, and this was after all of my applications. This was in June or something like that. And I was like, oh, they have this program. It looks really cool and I want to do it. And I sent them an email and I said, no, it's too late for you to apply and come. I was like, okay, I guess it's too late. And I remember at a party, one friend said, oh, maybe you should send them a second email just in case. So I sent them a second email and uh, they, they wrote back and said, oh, you're very persistent. We'll give you a chance. Come for one year and see how it is. And then uh, you can apply again. So uh, if I didn't send that one email, if my friend didn't say that to me at the party, my path would be somewhere else right now. Um, so life is Isn't so funny. Crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Just with one email, like sending a follow-up email can change your life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just in doing these interviews, that's what I find is something's happened in such a strange way, you know, like that email, like your friend saying, send another email that, you know, oftentimes people, you'd imagine that they had plans and this is what they pursued, but oftentimes things just happen and that changes their lives. Yeah, and it's it's fast, fast fascinating. When I look back, at the same time, though, when I look back, I don't want to change anything. Like if I was in that crisis or the decision-making phase, I would still go to McGill and do the pro program. But um, yeah, so it feels like the path was set for me, but the door, had, I had to knock like a few times at the door for it to open. So yeah. so when you went to that program, did did you feel like the crisis was over? Did you feel like you had found the answer? And then at the same time, what what was happening in your music world? Were you still composing and playing? Yeah, so that first year I went there was one of the hardest years of my life uh, because of all the extra stuff that I had to learn. They call it the qualifying year. Um, it's one year before you actually start your master's. And I had so much to learn about physics, math, electronics, all these different things about sound recording that I didn't know. And it was at university level. And it was very competitive because there were about 14 people there who wanted to get into the sound recording program and they only accepted four or five. And in hindsight, I think it's not a very good system and they should really rethink that system because it's very hard for a lot of the students there um, to do all that work and then not have a big chance to go into the actual pro program. Um, but yeah, so the crisis was even uh, deeper when I moved to Montreal. It was a big change. <laughs> and I was doing all this hard stuff. I was like, what am I doing? All that stuff. But um, I knew that I, uh, I, I'm really like learning really awesome stuff. And it was all very in interesting at the same time too. And there was this uh, unknown that I wanted to know more and more about. And um, so that was that was very in interesting that, that I wanted to learn about. But at the same time, like I had to balance with my composing and uh, being a musician because I always keep that go going no matter what else I'm doing. 
um, this kind of a self-regulation or something like that. And uh, yeah, so that was those three years that I was in Montreal doing the sound recording program and also doing the, um, the performing and being a musician. It was very tough because it was a lot of the different back and forth with Toronto. And um, I was a lot of the leader for the two groups that I used to run at that back then. One was a rock band and one was Lanadome Ensemble, uh, those two. And it's a lot of work to run a, a group, like scheduling concerts and composing and all that stuff. So, yeah, when I look back, I was like, wow, how did I do all that stuff? I can barely do one thing per day now. <laughs> well, having having worked with you in the in the world of sound and having you having seen you at work with with the great musicians that we worked with together, I mean, obviously, I know that you learned well and you did quite well in the audio department. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we know each other in, in the work uh, field as well, like doing all those um, sound projects to, uh, together as well. Um, but yeah, it's been um, it's been really interesting as well because you realize sound recording and uh, being a musician and a composer really helps each other too and understanding the musician who's on stage and uh, what they're per performing, what are their concerns, what is the music is asking for, um, even in terms of just where to put the mic microphone uh, to get the best balanced sound in terms of the low to the very high. So the music comes through. The most important thing is that the music speaks and the emotion comes through. So yeah, so it has been helpful to have for me the music back background before I came, I became a sound engineer. I don't know much about the, the your rock side. I know more about your classical and and I guess the world music side of things. But tell me about this. Would it be called a progressive rock band? Yes, yes. So. Um, in my early 20s, I was really into progressive rock band, and I'm still to this day as well, but really back then. and um, Inspired by who? What kind of music? Was it Pink Floyd? Was it that kind of stuff? Yeah, Pink Floyd, but I guess it's not so much progressive rock as in alternative rock. Uh, Pink Floyd, Radiohead, Beck, uh, Bjork, uh, Mars Vol Volta, <laughs> All those really heavy sounding things. Um, so I started, I wanted to start a band. And in university, in second year university, I started a, I don't know why, but a 10-piece band or an 11-piece band. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't start with three. Uh, and actually, this goes before too. In high school, I we used to have a band as well. Uh, it was more like cl classic rock band. And I we used to do like Doors covers. And I used to play the, left hand with my uh the bass with my left hand like the doors yeah. and then the right hand the keyboard and stuff like that and it was so much fun it was amazing and and uh in university i wanted to kind of continue that the band did dismantled the high school one but in university it was a band called sacred balance and it was my good friend neil Whit whitford who plays the guitar um, 
and an amazing singer who's still like doing amazing projects. Her solo stuff, Chloe Charles. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of her, but yeah, she's been uh, she's been around for a long time too, and really amazing voice and lyrics. So the three of us were the core, and then we had like violin and drums and and uh, electric bass. And I used to have all these synthesizers. I used to play keyboard and have all these live rigs where I would send a click track to the drummer and the drummer would play to electronic beats uh, because industrial bands were a big influence too for for me Um, uh, because it's the music is one way for me to express myself I actually thought about why I started all these bands and collaborations and ensembles throughout the years and even for my concert, having like 11 musicians play my pieces and putting them together. I think music, a lot of it to do for me is community as well. And um, a so- social thing for me. Uh, because one thing is, as a child, I've always had uh, kind of a difficulty uh, connecting with other people. Because I, I started when I was a young kid. And I still to this day as well do a bit. So when I look back, I think it was just a way to get together and um, have a good time as a group. A lot of it was a so- social means to do to do things. Um, and those concerts that we did as a rock band, it was really fun and bringing all those people together and having a purpose and a goal. Uh, it was a, it was a very good. I wonder. I mean. Y- you know, you you're an example of multi-genre musician. You know, and you live in the classical world in a big way. You live in the world music in a big way. Didn't know about this rock band thing, but obviously it was a big part of you. Um, you do some electronic music. You do film scores. In, in all the different configuration, are is everything the same? Like when you work with rock musicians in a progressive rock world. Is that the same as you working in the world music situation or if you're working in a classical music situation? Is music and musicians all the same to you? Um, Yes and no. Uh, A good musician, I I shouldn't say good musician, there's um, all kinds of different types of musicians. And uh, over the years, you look for people who, uh, first of all, on the social level, you have to click and um, be on the same vibe. And it doesn't mean like just same value, same vibe. And that's a big thing um, to to play together. The other thing is, uh, yeah, background. Background is so important too. For example, a classical musician, if they ask them to play and improvisation is tough for them. Mm-hmm. And if you ask a jazz musician to play exactly like the notes on the page, it may be tough for them as well. Um, but there are these musicians as well who are in the middle, who can do both. And I see a lot of them actually ar- around now where they're going beyond what's on the page and the notes and um, a lot of the for example a lot of the musicians in my ensemble are like that they play so many different types of genres 
from classical to rock. Um, and uh, yeah, so it depends. It depends how how you select the musicians and what their back backgrounds are. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I know it certainly does. Um, I was also curious with the Dome Ensemble. I know that I know you do a Radiohead cover. I know you you do a lot of your composition. I know that it's so influenced by many of your backgrounds and yours being um, Persian. How aware are you of Persian music today? Like, are you still actively keeping up with it? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. Um, so I can go back to when I was in Iran. When I was in Iran, um, the music, the Persian music was very uh, forced, like it was like everywhere. That was the music that was legal, so it was outside. And, and we had this kind of the other which is like Western music, which was very interesting and forbidden. It's like the forbidden fruit. Right. It was very like, so I, I always loved to do that. And I didn't want to do any of the other types of um, like Persian traditional music. Uh, but then when I came to Canada and I was a few years here, then I looked back to Persian traditional music and the greats of Persian mu- mu- music. Uh, doing excellent work in Iran. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This music is so rich and it goes back thousands of years and it's disciple to disciple, like by ear. And it just really comes from the heart. And I was blown away. So I did study it a little bit as well. And then, um, so now in my writing, a lot of the music that I do is inspired by that. It's inside of me. And it kind of starts from the young child too, like my mom singing all these traditional songs, mm. l- listening to all these songs. It's like with you from the very beginning. Uh, so my style of music is not like consciously I'm taking um, traditional Persian music in, in when I'm writing, but it has some themes and ideas of Persian music. Uh, in my writing, yeah. So speaking of which, um, we're in the middle of November 2022, and at the end of next week, you're putting on together, a, I presume, a big event for you. This is a huge concert with 11, 12 musicians, and basically you're presenting a number of your works over the, that was written over many years. Tell me a little bit about how this came about and and um, all the preparation that's gone into it. Yeah, yeah. So um, this concert is a big uh, deal for me. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a chapter mark- marker for me uh, because for about 10 years, I got really deep into sound re- recording. And uh, this concert is a kind of a celebration of the last 16 years of all the compositions that I've done over the years. A lot of them have been just premiered once and and performed once. And I like to bring them back. And it's it's ironic, but as a sound engineer, a lot of these pieces are not even recorded. So I like to I like are to Are you have recording them this concert? I'm going going to record this concert both audio and video 
uh, good. With, a, with a great team at the music ga- gallery. Um, and they've been really supportive of me as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's been taking about two and a half years uh, to put this concert together and lots of grant applications and lots of different uh, contacts with maybe so many uh, emails. And um, so a lot is, is put into it. But for me, even whatever happens is just um, a chapter marker. Because I like to, going forward, I like to uh, focus a lot of my energy on composing and uh, also doing sound recording as well, but a lot more on composing and performing. Um, Yeah, so this concert will feature about 11 musicians, and a lot of them are just uh, musicians that I've worked over the years with here, both as a sound engineer and also as musicians and I find them to be one of the best in Toronto if I may say so myself and I think a lot of people agree and um, yeah so it will feature like from solo piano by Jeffrey Conker a solo piano piece that I wrote maybe um, 16 years ago 14 years ago uh, to a clarinet duo um, that I wrote uh, it's called Sense of Place. And actually, the whole concert is called Sense of Place as well. And for me, Sense of Place has always been composing and creative. And this is kind of the natural way of being for me. And that's the reason it's called Sense of Place, the concert. I wonder, when when you go back and say, okay, I'm going to do this concert, which is going to feature works that I've worked over many, many years... When you actually sit down and put it together, do you see something that connects everything together? Yes, yes. I actually was thinking to make a joke at the beginning of the concert that uh, it's all going to sound the same, like all of these pieces. (laughs) And sometimes I'm surprised too because I've never put them all back to back together. And uh, I see, oh, wow, this is all like... um, this theme is very similar to the other theme in the piece that I wrote like four years after. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of reoccurring themes and stylistic stuff, but that's okay. This is my musical lang- language and my style. So yeah, there's a lot of elements that are the same. So how do you feel about looking forward to the 24th of November? And if anybody wants to check it out, they can go to your website or... Um, I guess, Music Gallery's website? Yes, yes. So uh, uh, you can go to my website, which is puyamili.com. You can also go to the Music Gallery uh, website as well. And um, yeah, all the information is there that you can find. I'm also hoping to live stream it as well. Oh, good. uh, So for people especially who uh, can't physically come, or are away and not in Tor- Toronto for, for them as well, yeah. If, if this is one of those milestones, what what do you see going forward? What are, do you still have, like, what goals do you have going forward? Yeah, so uh, in 10 years, life is funny. It's, for me, it's in cy- cycles. So in the next 10 years, I'd like to, going forward, have a lot more concerts, 
of my compositions by different ensembles, by different groups, uh, but also myself performing a lot uh, of my own music as well. Um, and also uh, doing se select recording pro projects as well over the years. Yeah, that's that's my goal in the future. And just building a community of great friends and musicians all together because that's really important and key in my happiness and everybody will be together as well for, for that. So, yeah, so that's what I see after the concert, hopefully. <laughs> Ten years ago, when you said, I, I need to rethink things and go after these things, here you are ten years later. Is it where you want it to be? Is this close to where you want it to be? Yeah, so if the honest answer is no, because um, I thought the sound recording will be uh, kind of, in a way, a vehicle as well to do be in the studio doing more really amazing projects, which I did. And I am really grateful traveling all of Canada recording for really fantastic musicians, a lot of them with you, actually. Mm. And um, yeah, so I, it was so amazing that it kind of like carried me away. <laughs> and I was really like uh, into it. And one thing about life, which is really fascinating, is it ne you never stop learning. And you always like learn more and more and more. Um, and uh, yeah, so that kept me going, uh, all this fascinating techniques with sound recording. So I feel like I went a little bit too far uh, with what I wanted to do with that only in my life, being the only focus in my life. And with the pandemic, you know, we all got at home. Um, and on top of the pandemic, I became a father as well. Um, and on top of being a father, I also had some long-term health issues. So it really made me think about life and all that stuff. So it was kind of a reset uh, button for me uh, to to stop and look at what's going on. Because also, like, um, I was so driv driven and working really hard. And when you're in, in, in it, it's like you finish one project you go to another project, you finish another project, you go to another project, you don't, you barely have time to look at the big picture of how things are going. Uh, so the pandemic and that time, about two years, two and a half years, have made me rethink about what's going on. Yes and no, I guess, yeah. And I'm also very great, grateful about the last 10 years too. And, and you can't really also predict exactly what's going to happen, so... <laughs> That's for sure. But I mean, I think it speaks to how good you are, especially with the sound recording and uh, your audio work. And I know, once again, having worked with you, oh, you know, you so like much. it's you're, you're one of the best. And, and so but it speaks to how how good you are and why you're in such demand. I can see that, you know, getting these opportunities thrown at you all the time, I can see how that can get in the way of other things like working on your music or well, on your composition, but it's yeah. a it's a pretty amazing thing that you're being recognized for what you do in the in the studio. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and time is a, such an interesting con concept too, because uh, uh, I feel like it's getting faster and faster. And as I wait till you older, get to my age, it goes <laughs> really fast. No, no, you're still like my age, but uh, cl cl close to mine. 
Uh, but but yeah, I know, I know what 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 you mean. So it becomes you have to prioritize as well. I sometimes wish like I had like three of me. Each can do different. <laughs> I <don't> have clones. <laughs> but well, I know maybe that's one like of these kind days of you can do that. Yeah, that's a bit of a sci-fi. Maybe Elon Musk can do something <laughs> like that. But uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting, like um, the concept of time, and also becoming a father too. Like, I would rather you lose all time then. You lose all time, yeah, and and energy as well sometimes. So. Are you going nuts right now in preparation for your concert next week? Uh, yes, yeah. So um, speaking of time, I'm going away in Kingston this week for a recording project. But at the same time, I'm also, there's a lot of like promotion to do and also a lot of like um, behind the scenes, coordinating all of the, the musicians and also the day of all the rehearsals practicing because i'm also a musician i'll be playing the piano as well at this concert and uh yeah i i I have put through the years self-presented concerts both for my ensemble and also i was part of another group for seven years called icot which was iranian canadian composers of toronto and with four other amazing iranian canadian composers that are now doing amazing work in Toronto, uh, being played by TSO and sound streams and all that stuff. Um, So uh, I have a lot of experience uh, working on projects with them as well. So I know what to expect, which kind of helps, uh, but it doesn't make it less work (laughs) because there's so much to to prepare. And preparation is really the key, just to like prepare, prepare. So the day of your kind of on autopilot and yeah. But it's it's crazy when you think about that young young kid from Iran who came and was blown away by the TSO. And now you work with the TSO sometimes and sometimes you record them like it's crazy. I know, I know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really shows you if you're um, dedicated and you're passionate and you can do great things and yeah and vice versa as well i've seen your work and the riddle film as well and you've worked with such great greats and the reason is because you're so at a high level and um yeah artists really recognize that and uh thank you yeah it's it's kind of i think all the credit goes to riddle but but thank you (laughs) no no but but yeah life is so special Mm -hmm. um I'm going to wrap this up. I, I want to thank you. We've been talking about doing this for a while, and you've been busy. I've been busy. We finally got to do it right before, hopefully, this this great concert of yours, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. So thank you so much for taking this time, and um, I always look forward to working with you. So until we get to do that again, I, I hope all the best to you. Thank you so much, Marco, for having me on your amazing uh, pod- podcast. I'm um, feeling very uh, grateful and privileged to be among all these amazing guests that you've had over the years and uh, I've known you for many years and I always enjoyed our conversations together and I really thank you again for having me on, on, on the show and having to talk about some interesting stuff about my life that I haven't thought about in a while as well so, <laughs> well thank, thank you for you sharing so that with us yeah. <laughs> thank you